So you want to be president or work in politics. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much again for tuning in to episode two of the Graduating and Growth podcast with me. I want to talk about a young woman who has not only competed for the job of Miss America, but interned at the White House under a 45th president. Amber Hulse is a native of the veteran town Hot Springs in South Dakota. As she grew up, she found herself being incredibly interested in public service and politics. Her niche. I can't wait for you to hear more from a woman who overcame the hardships of being a first-generation college student, understanding what it means to have a mentor, pursuing things after not getting what you wanted the first time, and interning at a fast-paced, competitive environment. So, let's welcome Amber. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Graduating in Growth with your host, Via Kettner. I have somebody who's just like the dopest human being in the entire world. She's the bomb.com. And her name is Amber, and I'd love for her to a little talk a little bit about herself and introduce herself because I think that she's so absolutely incredible. Well, I don't know about all that, Via, but um, <laughs> my name is Amber, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. Um, I'm originally from South Dakota. And I was actually Miss South Dakota, so that's how Via and I know each other a little bit is through the pageant world. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm excited to talk a little bit about today my you know passions and um, kind of how I got to where I am today. Yeah, and the cool thing about Amber is that she is definitely a go-getter, definitely an outspoken woman and true to her beliefs, which I think is something that we need to discuss more and talk a little bit more about because I know a lot of times that we get super self-conscious about that and saying what we think and what we know. Um, so I'm really, really happy that she is on today. And I just would love for you to start, you know, you have this incredible story um, and this incredible journey to where you are now over the past few years. And I would love for the listeners to learn more about who you are and just like where you're from. So tell us a little about like where you're from. Absolutely. So again, I'm from South Dakota. So um, I grew up on a hunting camp, actually. My oh my gosh, what? A ranch. <laughs> yes. Um, and my mom was a cook for most of her life. And she ended up then um, going and working at a VA hospital that was in our hometown. And my dad is actually a disabled veteran. So veterans are really important to me. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a little <laughs> bit. But um, yeah, I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a ranch. Um, I was kind of like the small town girl next door, <laughs> vibe, um, South Dakota version. Uh, but it was a it really almost sounds worse way. than mine. It almost sounds worse than mine. I lived by cornfields and everything. I mean, I got it. I mean, four wheelers say less. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, like Little House on the Prairie, like 2020 version. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Wow. My, you know, parents never went to a four-year college or any of that. Um, my dad was drafted into the Vietnam War right out of high school. So wow. that drastically changed his pro projection in life. And um, he started a business when he, you know, came back from the war and uh, started a hunting camp. And my uh, mom, you know, got involved with that. She was really passionate about cooking. And so she was kind of like the chef at the camp and, and did all the meals and catering and they had horseback riding and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I was born, they kind of downsized so that my mom could be a mom. But yeah, both of my parents are kind of self starters in a sense. And I think that's where I get it from a little bit, but they weren't really ever involved in the academic world or were never, you know, they were good in school, but they weren't, you know, obsessed with it like I am. Right. Um, 
Right. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. And you're, you're a first-gen college student, but either way, I mean, you know, college is important, but practical knowledge and practical skills is something that I think that we don't necessarily put an emphasis on anymore. Yeah, I think that we're starting to move a little bit away from everyone needing to have a four-year degree, um, but for sure, it was a different time back then when they, you know, were our age, mm-hmm. um, and we're, you know, kind of starting off in the world. So, yeah, having them as parents, I will, would never change it for the world, but it definitely um, has posed a couple different challenges <laughs> just because my parents had no idea what I was doing, and, um, you know, we were learning it, you know, all together at the same time, so. So, you're from small town South Dakota, so where did you go to high school? I went to Hot Springs High School, that's the name of the town What a I'm fun from. town! <laughs> yeah, there's actually Hot Springs in the town, so if you ever want to visit, I will definitely be your tour guide. Um, but yeah, our mascot was the bison, and um, I was involved in band and choir, I was a huge band nerd, you know, glasses, like Taylor Swift, you know, you belong with me vibes. Oh, say and... less. <laughs> Um, and, but at the same time, I, I was, you know, the smart girl. And so I ended up getting involved in like student council and those types of student leadership, um, roles. And that's kind of where I started to figure out that I liked politics, um, at first, but I, I wasn't popular. And so I, I struggled with, you know, being the nerdy band girl, um, but also being in student council, but not being popular. And then around my junior year of high school, I actually started managing the football team. And so that was always interesting because I was friends with all of the popular boys and was really close with them, but I was the nerdy band girl. So let's just say the girls in my class were not a huge fan of me because I was like friends with all the guys, but was the nerdy band girl. So that was always an interesting dynamic in high school. Enemy. You were the enemy. (laughs) Yes. So my high school wasn't super fun. It's okay. It wasn't really that fun for me either, although I wasn't the manager of the men's football team. So, <laughs> um, so you, wait, what did you play in band? What did you play? I, I played the saxophone in band, but <gasps> oh I played the piano for my talent in pageants. So I also played in show choir in like the combo band for the show choir. Um, but yeah, I was just like, I play like four different instruments. At first I thought I wanted to be a music major, awesome. um, <laughs> but big music girly over here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned that. Cause, um, I remember when I was in high school, I, I was in show choir for a couple of years and I, oh my God, I absolutely loved it. It was so fun. I was the biggest music nerd. And, um, my brother, my brother's a major, he's a really great jazz pianist. And, um, so you mentioning you playing in the combo for show choir, my dad would make my brother play in the combo for show choir. So we both could like the, go to the competitions together and like do all yes. that nerdy band stuff, you know? And when my, and my short lived, um, you know, band experience. I played like the percussions. I always played like the mallets and stuff. And I took piano lessons when I was younger, but then I switched over to voice. So the 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 music nerd, the music nerd kind of not cool kid definitely fits my vibe. <laughs> we didn't peak in high school and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> no, and we're not peaking yet. So that's a great thing. <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit more about like the dynamic of your hometown because you are from small town, like, and I'm not talking about like small town, Ohio. I'm talking like small town, South Dakota. That is just a whole like another story. Um, so tell us a little about like what it was like there. 
Yeah, so I actually should have gone to school in a town named Edgemont, and at that school, which was about 20 minutes away from where my parents' ranch was, my graduating class would have been six kids. Um, oh my but God. I went to school in Hot Springs, which was a little bit further of a drive. It was like 30, 45 minutes, depending on, you know, road conditions and, you know, whether or not there were cows on the road. Um, <laughs> that's important. But, that's important. Yes. <laughs> but, um, at that school, my graduating class, I think was around 60, which was really big for the school. It was usually around like 45, um, on average. And the town was really great because it was a really great community vibe. Like there's a lot of different community events and activities and the community really does get behind its youth and really is supportive. So I always say like, it takes a village to raise a child. And I, I felt like I had a lot of support from community members and I really got to be involved in the community and go and volunteer at all different kinds of events. So that was great. Um, and the town is nicknamed the veterans town because we do have the oldest VA hospital in the country in this wow. little tiny town in South Dakota. And, and the VFW and the state veterans home. So I was always volunteering for like military related organizations. And I had my dad as a military influence. So I grew up around, you know, all of these like patriots and, you know, um, soldiers or veterans. And it was just a really great, like down home American, you know, growing Full up country song, yes. you know, Midwest farmer's daughter um, yes. background for sure. What's that? What's it called? Like blue jean night. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. yes. Barefoot blue jean night. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> all, all summer long, I bet. All summer long. <laughs> That's incredible though. I mean, yeah, there there are downsides though, because the, the town definitely like keeps tabs on you, like as you grow up. Oh, it's not like, oh, yeah. oh I'm going to college. Bye. No, everybody has something to say, especially the Miss South Dakota pageant was held in the town for like 75 years or 74 years. And the year that I won, of course, they moved it out of the town. Oh, and it's, um, it's the worst thing ever. And the, the but, old ladies are so yeah. mad. <laughs> yes, exactly. But all those little old ladies are just like diehard, you know, the South Dakota fans. So it was always, it was always like coming home, like American Idol, like coming home moments when, you know, I would come home to Hot Springs. Um, to the big pageant community. So it was always really fun. They'd be like, oh my gosh, that's in South Dakota. I know yes. her. I, in I'm the grocery gonna... store. Yes. yes. I'd be like, can we get a picture with you? And you're like, oh, I love that. <laughs> While you're like in your sweatpants, you know, your hair's up yes. in a bun. You can look exactly. absolutely more worse than that. I love that though. That's so cool. So I know you mentioned a lot in high school that you were obviously, you know, a band, choir nerd, um, but let's, I really want to dive a little bit more into your leadership aspect. So what made you want to get into student council? I mean, I think I was always the kid that whenever someone said like, elect someone from your group to be the speaker, everyone turned and looked at me. And so in a way, while I was not popular, people kind of always saw me as a leader um, because I was willing to you know, say what people didn't necessarily want to hear all the time or was because I was the smart girl, whatever the reason was, like people always were choosing me to be like the speaker for the group. Um, and so after a while, I just kind of decided that I was going to, you know, take that and run with it and, and you know, self-elect myself as a, you know, leader um, of my class and whatnot. And so I got really involved in student council and even served on the state student council board. And then when I was a junior in high school, I actually went and paged in the state capitol. And that was when I realized that like politics and government was just going to be my whole world. And I had never been exposed to any of that until I paged when I was a junior. But that was 
like when I decided this is what my major is going to be. I mean, we were listening to hearings about potato seeds or something or other in the state <laughs> capitol, and everybody in, that was a page, because we were exhausted, we were working really long weeks, um, they were like falling asleep in the back of the committee hearing room, and I was sitting on like the edge of my seat as like a 15-year-old. Um, so pumpkin realized, seeds are important. Pumpkin yes. seeds are very important. <laughs> So that was when I kind of realized that I had a bug for politics and that I wasn't going to ignore it. And so then that was kind of the next step was determining where I was going to learn about politics because my parents, of course, did not come from a background that had anything to do with that. Right. I mean, and kind of going off of that, number one, that is so cool that you found a little bit more more about your niche in the high school because a lot of people find things that they they enjoy but they don't necessarily find like the thing you know which brings me to my next point of being a first generation college student wow so how did you how was the conversation when you first approached your parents about possibly going to a post-secondary school what was that like well I think they always knew that I wanted to go to college and that um that I was going to, you know, go to a four-year school. And so it was just kind of preparing for where I was going to go and how it was going to get paid for. Um, I was always a really good student. And so I think they were pretty, you know, it was pretty obvious that that was the track that I was headed down. Um, but the big thing was how we were, how we were going to afford it. Um, mm-hmm. and, right. and if I was going to be able to handle it because I, I didn't come from that type of background and I didn't have that, um, you know, parental support because they had never been through it either. So they didn't really know what to tell me for advice because they were learning, you know, as I was learning, like I said earlier. So um, trying to figure out the whole financial side of things was really difficult. Um, and so I started to look at schools where I either knew I could get a really good scholarship um, or I actually applied to the United States Naval Academy when I was in high school and um that I have a really good friend of, who went there and um he really enjoyed it so yeah that was kind of like my path because I had been raised around you know these military influences and I, I still kind of have a bug that you know maybe one day I'll, I'll strap on some combat boots and trade them in for my high heels but um, I love he can see that though yeah I can hike <laughs> I hike he can see that <laughs> but yeah so I, I I got accepted to the Naval Academy um in about I don't know couple weeks maybe 10 days before I like graduated high school um I had another offer from the state institution the University of South Dakota um to attend there on a full ride scholarship and my dad was actually um pretty sick at the time and we didn't know if he was going to make it and there was a lot of things up in the air and so leaving to go to the Naval Academy um it was kind of like God said like it isn't going to work right now. Like that's not what's right. And it was really difficult because growing up in this community where everyone knew who you were and everybody was so excited that I was going to the Naval Academy that I got accepted and it was in the newspaper and all of these Mm -hmm. things. So I had like extra pressures on me even more than the normal kid. Um, When I decided to go to USD, I I felt um, kind of like a coward or almost like a traitor um, that I wasn't going and and doing the thing that I had been working for years to get into a school like that. Um, And so when I first got to the University of South Dakota, I I really struggled because I felt like I had made the wrong decision because shortly thereafter I had made the decision. My dad all of a sudden got better and it was like, oh, okay, I made the right decision because he's like miraculously better now, (laughs) Um, which I'm glad for. But yeah, it was when I got to USD, it was like I was surrounded by people that 
didn't necessarily like get me because I was this like really ambitious, like pushing for more type person. And, and you don't always like find type people like that at a state institution. Um, and shortly thereafter, I, I found my niche. I found my nerd friends. I found a really mm-hmm. great advisor. But for my first semester, I had, you know, thoughts of dropping out of college. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to study political science. Like, I, I really felt like I was losing myself. Um, and it wasn't until I really found that community and found someone who supported what I wanted to do um, and helped me get an internship the second semester of my freshman year of college so that I could, you know, confirm that I actually wanted to study political science, um, that I, I felt solid in my decision. Um, and I ended up interning with Chantal Krebs, who is now the CEO of the Miss America organization. And at that time, she was the Secretary of State in South Dakota. And so it was like a perfect conglomeration of someone who was Miss South Dakota, who was involved in politics, who was just like me, who came from like nothing and wanted mm-hmm. to get involved in that world. And so she really like <clears throat> took me under her wing and really fostered, I think, the the beginning of who I have become today. Um, and that was kind of, you know, a God moment again that, um, you know, I ended up with her in a perfect scenario where I kind of felt like I was losing myself. She really like reminded me that I was passionate about these things and it, that it was okay to, to love these things and to pursue what I wanted to. Right. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to to handle as an 18, 19 year old young woman. It was really difficult because like at the same time when you're 18, like you're asking if you can go to the bathroom. Um, right, exactly. And trying to determine what you want to do with the rest of your life. And um, big T-Swift fan here. There's a song and it, the <laughs> lyrics are, um, I'm just a girl trying to find a place in this world. <laughs> and there were so many moments where I definitely sat in my dorm room and cried to that song. Because like, it's just so There's so, so many times. Real. There's so many times. Like still now I just sit in my room and like, well, it's Taylor Swift songs. Nobody just sees that. <laughs> no. No, nobody sees the iceberg under the water of all the stuff that you had to do to achieve success and like the really low moments of the roller coaster ride that is trying to get um, higher education and pursue whatever pathway that you want to go down for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of like Chantel, um, how did you kind of find her? Like what led you to her? And talk about like her mentorship with you, because that's a big thing. Having a mentor or having somebody a a peer that can really help you and mold you into the person that you want to be is incredibly important for your personal growth. Yeah. So her husband actually was the judge, one of the judges, my first year in South Dakota. So I competed right after I graduated high school in June. Um, And then I ended up interning with her the following year in the legislative session in January. So there was about like a nine month span there, but I, had met her um, after I competed my first year in South Dakota because her husband said, you have to meet my wife. Um, and I had one interview as an 18 year old against, you know, all wow, of these girls that's that incredible. were, you know, in their master's degree and all these things. So he was like, you have to meet my wife. And at that point I knew who she was and she was kind of like a celebrity to me. So when she walked up to me and she like put her hands on my shoulders and she said, you are going to be Miss South Dakota one day. And I like, bawled my eyes out so here's this lady that I'm like I want to be you and I don't even know how to talk in front of you (laughs) right um, telling me that like I can do whatever I want to do with my life and so she kind of became like my pageant mom in a sense Mm -hmm. um but her mentorship was just really wonderful because like I said she had a very similar background to me she played the saxophone oh my god um 
And it was just like, you know, this blonde South Dakota girl, like, you know, from, you know, middle of nowhere that was trying to be somebody and having her, you know, talk to me about her trials and, you know, struggles and and what works and what doesn't. And, you know, really helping me through that rough time and kind of over that hurdle um, allowed me, I think, kind of to, to blossom. You know, they always say like, you know, don't feel bad when you feel like you're getting pulled backwards because an arrow has to be pulled backwards before it can be launched mm-hmm. forward right. and I feel like she kind of like slowed me down to speed me up um and really you know help me out of that for sure that's so cool and it's so 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 important as well um and those those kinds of mentors don't just you can't force that to happen you just have to let it authentically happen because you're going to find people that you just fit in with and that is like going to be your person you're like you're my person I'm your person like I want to help you and they're going to say please just take me under your wing and let me become the person I've always wanted to be and like that is absolutely and absolutely incredible um so you know you were just, you started talking about, you know, your mentorship with her and your first year and how you felt like you really, really wanted to just drop out and all the, all the things that a first year does to you. But, you know, for you personally, like how did you and your day-to-day life kind of overcome those obstacles? Well, or did you, you? know, it, it, it took a lot of just like, I'm going to get up out of bed in the morning and I'm going to put my pants on my big girl pants on and, you know, bring myself to go to class and I'm going to pour myself into my studies because even if this is not the place that I want to be or end up, if I'm going to transfer or whatever I'm going to do, like I have to do good where I'm at right now. Like, this is my reality. This is Mm -hmm. the situation I've gotten myself into and I'm not going to drop out mid semester. Like I'm at least going to make it to December. Um, and by the time December had rolled around, I had figured out that I was going to, you know, go intern with Chantel at the state Capitol. So at that point it was like, okay, I'm looking toward that and I'm looking forward to going and being able to do that experience. And so that's kind of like what got me out of bed in the morning. And kind of once you get the ball rolling, like a body in motion stays in motion. And so as long as I didn't allow myself to like give myself a pity party and, and didn't allow myself to, you know, think about it too much and just did the work and, you know, took calculus and got it done with and, you know, did the thing. um, (laughs) You did the deed it was easier to, you know, keep going after that. And then once you have your first year done, then when I was going to go back for my sophomore year, um, I actually was on campus my entire year, my sophomore year. And I was like, okay, we're doing this. Like I'm going to, you know, get through this year and then I'm going to go compete at Miss South Dakota in in June and I'm going to, you know, try to win. And it, it was just like a, you know, keep moving towards the next step, like set a goal and keep moving towards it and keep working towards that. And it makes the day to day easier when you're looking forward to something or you're working or grinding towards something, because you're not really thinking about the day to day, you're thinking about the end goal, every moment along the way that gets hard. Um, But I definitely realized that through all of the struggles and, and experiences that I had, I also started to realize that I could help myself through rough times by helping other people through their rough times too. Um, And so when I started to think about what I wanted my platform or social impact um, initiative to be within the Miss America organization, I realized that I had a lot of 
really great tips and tricks and experience struggling through these types of things. And if I was the girl that had like a 4.0 GPA and should have been fine through all of this, I couldn't imagine what some of the kids who weren't involved, didn't have the grades that I had, didn't even have the parental emotional support that I had, um, and how they were, you know, handling some of the struggles that, you know, almost every college student, you know, struggles with, but, you know, kids that aren't as, you know, lucky or privileged as I was, how they were handling it. And so I actually started a nonprofit for my social impact um, initiative to help kids through that. And I called it Operation Overload because all of us feel a little bit overloaded at one point, whether it be by regret or debt or trying to make a decision um, or emotions or just course mm-hmm. load. Um, and so I really started to kind of heal from all of that by helping other people um, avoid, you know, ending up how I did um, and trying to avoid them making those pitfalls or mistakes. Wow. I love that. That's so incredibly cool. So tell me a little bit about, you know, Operation Overload. So what is it, what does it all include? So basically I would go to schools and I would talk about, you know, standardized testing, um, Mm -hmm. what, you know, ACT or SAT, which one should you take? Or do you need to take the ASVAP because you're going into the military or whatever? Um, Scholarships and financial aid and how to navigate those processes and, um, you know, the schools in South Dakota and what what each of them specializes in and, and how to choose one because that school is better for that major instead of just choosing one because you like the campus better because it's prettier and, you know, how, how to, you know, um, you know, figure out what you're passionate about and what you want to major in and how to get different mentorships and internships or different experiences in high school so you can figure that out before you get to college and have to change your major 10 times and you know all of these things that you aren't really taught in high school which I think is hilarious because high school is supposed to prepare you for college and they don't do like the real world stuff that they should right so that's basically what it what it encompasses and covers Um, But then also after I would present, if kids wanted to do like one-on-one sessions with me, like I would sit down and go over their resumes or their college admissions essays. Um, I would talk to them about kind of if they were dealing with a special circumstance or, you know, they had more questions and just kind of being a mentor for other people um, and telling my story of what I went through. And, you know, here I was, Miss South Dakota, and saying, like, I struggled with this. So, like, one, don't feel bad if you're struggling with this. But two, like, I struggled with this and now I'm in South Dakota. So like you can make a comeback from this too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that was really inspiring, especially for young girls who are, you know, not just young girls, but especially young girls who, you know, live in these really rural areas who don't always have someone to look up to or someone who is kind of breaking through that glass ceiling in a sense. Um, And so to go and talk to these girls from the middle of nowhere and be like, listen, I grew up on a hunting camp. Like I was an only child. My parents didn't go to college and here I am. Like I'm going to go compete at Miss America and I'm going to go live in Washington, D.C. one day. And this is what I'm doing. Like you can do whatever you want to do. Um, it was really empowering for me, but it was also, you know, really great to know that I was inspiring others as well. I think that that's just absolutely incredible and so needed now, especially empowering young girls today. I mean, goodness gracious, it, we need it more than ever. And I think that a lot of people forget the importance of not just, you know, helping students out in the inner cities, but also like helping students out in re- in really rural areas. I mean, the problem is, is that in inner cities, you're going to find a lot more programs for, 
young men and women about to get out of high school um, just because, you know, the cities are really investing in those students. But when you go out to really rural areas, unfortunately, it's it, the lack of education there is very prominent. And for young girls and young men, they don't necessarily know outside of like what they see, which is sucky and the funding for that opportunity for them to you know realize and think about what oper- like what options are out there for them um it, it's it's hard to find it's yeah, hard to get them one of the of things that. i would say when i gave my presentations is you can't be it if you can't see it like if you don't know a job exists want like out there somebody does this for their job like how would you know that you want to do that as your job one day And it's, like you said, really awful in rural areas because the resources just aren't there. I mean, there aren't as many people, so therefore you're not collecting as much tax dollars, and therefore you're not going to have as many social programs to help people, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to education. And luckily in South Dakota, the the cost of education isn't as great, but up until this last year, South Dakota was the only state in the nation that didn't have needs-based financial aid in state institutions. So like literally there was no needs-based financial aid scholarships. Um, And so the cost of your education was either all on the school to give you a school scholarship or you to take out loans. Like that was the only option, unless you were getting federal financial aid. But after that, which we know doesn't cover everything, (laughs) you were not getting anything from your state. Um, And so it was really um, interesting. I actually ended up just writing my honors thesis um, to graduate from undergrad about counselors and career education and all of these things that states don't do similarly. So one kid in Ohio and another kid in South Dakota are not being prepared in the same way to go to college and therefore don't have the same employment opportunities just because of their zip code um, and where they grew up and where they were born. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, really hard. And there's a huge conversation in our country right now about, you know, equity and and equality and, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, economics and education. Um, And I think that this is something that isn't just a race issue. It's also um, an education issue and a resource issue across the nation Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people that live in poverty are actually living in rural poverty, not Mm -hmm. just inner city poverty. Yeah. And, you know, inner city poverty is, you have the opportunity to have a lot more resources living in poverty in the inner city than you do out in rural America, just because there's more opportunities. And I think also when you talk about like race, you think of like diversity, but there's also diversity in thought and, you know, where you come from. And that's something that we don't talk about enough, um, but it impacts a person so much dependent upon like where you went to school where you grew up whether it is inner city rural you know or suburban america it's absolutely insane so to you what is like one thing that you got from you know this entire initiative and then leading it to your like honors thesis like that's so cool like what was like your biggest impact on you personally what do you think was that i mean on me personally it made me realize that you know, it wasn't my fault necessarily that I struggled with some of these things. (laughs) No, it's not even your parents' fault either. (laughs) No. And and I don't want to say like, oh, the system failed me. But in in a way, like you can't expect to know all of these things about how to plan the rest of your life if you were never told that these things are a thing, right? Right, right. Um, And so I think for me, that like made me feel better as a person. But overall, I think it made me realize that, you know, this sounds really like capitalistic, but (laughs) you, 
aren't going to be concerned about any of these other issues if you don't have a job or something to do with your life. Like every single person, when they grow up and turn 18 and graduate from high school, hopefully they're graduating from high school in the first place, but Mm -hmm. everybody one day at one point is going to have to do something in society to be able to live as a human, like to pay for food and to live, right? Mm -hmm. And so this topic is something that everybody should be invested in, whether you're a business person or you're a social worker or you're in criminal justice or whatever, because money, as sad as it is, makes the world go around. Like you have to be able to live. And so if you can't find a job or or find a profession or find something that you can make money um, to live off of. Like we have a serious issue. And you know, we have 92 page documents in South Dakota that tell you how kids should be taught in PE class, but we have two sentences talking about what the curriculum should be for career planning. Like, I'm sorry, I would rather have the state be doing studies about how to prepare kids than how they should be running in PE. Um, and maybe that's, you know, backwards. Cause I know a lot of people think that, you know, you have to be able to, you know, have a healthy body before you can even do a job. But like in the same sense, like everybody's going to have to do a job one day. Not everybody's going to be an athlete one day. Um, and I just think that we need to really focus on, um, these issues a little bit more, especially with the impact of the coronavirus that's had on the economy and the job market, um, with all these discussions about like $15 minimum wage, like it's a huge issue that covers so much and is so expansive. Um, I just wish that more people would get involved in the conversation. Right. Wow. I love that. I'm very, I feel very empowered, <laughs> but I'm also like, yes, I under, I completely understand. I know exactly what you're talking about. I research this. I do this. <laughs> Let me give you my stump speech. <laughs> Let me as an educator, as a future educator, talk about this to you all. <laughs> um, but that's absolutely incredible. And it still, you know, really goes along with your passion for politics And I just really want to highlight one of the bombest, coolest things ever. And that's how Amber actually landed an internship at the White House. She um, worked for our 45th president, Donald J. Trump, um, and his last six months-ish in office. And I think that that's so incredible because there are a lot of people out there who, you know, want to get into politics and want, you know, a really cool internship, not just with somebody as a state representative, but obviously in, you know, the most well-known house in the entire United States, right? Tell me a little bit about how you basically, number one, had the guts to apply and then your entire application process. What, what happened? Yeah, so first of all, I'll correct you. I interned at the White House. I did not work at the White House. She That's very important. I'm sorry. Yes, let me fix you with that. That's part of the ethics protocol there. Gotcha. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so the application process and why I decided to apply. So yeah, how a girl goes from West River, South Dakota to that's, the West Wing is a, um, a whole story <laughs> in and of itself. I was, that's why it's so cool. It's literally so cool. Like middle of nowhere, South Dakota, next thing you know. <laughs> Yeah. And it was just, it was a life-changing experience. But basically what I did is I was like, you know what? I'm just going to apply. Like the worst that they can say is no. Like I'm going to throw it off the wall and see what (laughs) sticks. Um, You know, if they reject me, they reject me. Um, And I had actually applied to intern in 2019, had gotten accepted to intern at the White House 
in the same semester that I was supposed to be preparing to go to Miss America. And I had to turn down a White House internship because I was going to not be able to be there for the dates because of Miss America orientation and the filming of the Miss America broadcast. So here I am telling the White House that I can't intern there because so I have sorry. to compete at Miss America. Can't yeah. intern. I you know I might become Miss America. <laughs> um, and so I just told them that I was involved in a national scholarship competition. That's all I told them. Because I didn't want to say that I was competing at Miss America. So then I applied in January of twenty. 2020 this would have been right after Miss America to intern in the summer um, of Mm -hmm. 2020 and I got rejected and I was like they're never going to accept me again because I rejected the internship in the fall and so then um, the coronavirus hit and I was like okay well maybe I dodged a bullet here because I wouldn't have been able to do it in person or it would have been all weird because of the coronavirus so like you know God was looking out like it's it's all okay so I applied again Um, and I had applied to like, I don't even know how many internships in Washington, DC, because I had told myself that in the fall of 2020, that I would be in DC no matter what. And so I applied and I finally got a call back for an interview because the different departments within the white house, um, pick you. So they, they clear the applicants, you know, up until a certain number of them. And there's like a pool of eligible applicants that they take out the people that, you know, have bad resumes or whatever. And so you make this pool Mm -hmm. and then all of the departments in the white house can look at the different interns and pull from this like smaller pool. And so I got a call from my now former um, supervisor and she interviewed me like a few days before the 4th of July. And I actually got to attend the 4th of July event at Mount Rushmore. And the funny thing was, is that event was actually being put on by the office that was interviewing me. And so I knew all about this event that they were planning because it had to do with the governor and this office dealt with all the governors. And I was really passionate about state and local government. And she was like, well, that's what we do in this office. And I was like, yeah, I'm so pumped for this because this is what I want. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, a few days later, she said that I had gotten the position and I was obviously like, just so excited that I couldn't even speak because I thought that I wasn't going to get to do the experience. Like I thought, you know, I chose Miss America over the white house and that's the choice that I had to make and I will never get this opportunity again. Right. Um, so luckily I got to, I got to do the experience. I was there during a Supreme court nomination, the coronavirus, um, the president getting the coronavirus. Um, (laughs) Let's see what else. An election year. Um, like, what a year insane. to be an intern. <laughs> Let me tell you. What a year. It was definitely an experience I will never forget. Um, it was, you know, to be at the White House on election day um, and to walk out of that building outside of the big, huge fence barrier that they were putting around the building and not know, like, what was going to happen that night as I, like, made my way back to my little apartment um was kind of surreal and it was interesting because it got to the point where it felt like you weren't really living in real life anymore or you were living in real life and what was on the news was not real anymore like it was this really weird experience because you would be in a room and you would walk out of the room and you would look at the tv like outside the room and realize that what was on like fox news was in the room next to you and what it looked like on TV looked nothing like the room that you were just in, but you knew that that was what you were watching on the TV. So it was just, it was so surreal and it taught me so much about like the relationship between, you know, governors and the president and 
how a city council person in San Diego still like, you know, has a voice, you know, all the way up to the White House, um, at least in the past administration. And so that gave me kind of hope for humanity that, you know, isn't just like a person in an ivory tower that, you know, does whatever he wants to do or she wants to do. It was um, a really great lesson on federalism and that, you know, people out in the middle of nowhere still have a voice and have a say in government. And um, I think the past administration did a really good job of trying to listen to people that were out there in the field doing whatever it was that they were in charge of um, and to let their voices be known all the way up to, you know, the most powerful person in the country. So it was really just a cool experience. Amber, you were literally in the room where it happens. Yes. You were in the room where it happens. I mean, who can say that? Like, who can actually say you're like, yeah, like I, I was in the room where it happens. Like, that's me. I, a woman from small town, South Dakota, freaking did this. It's like mic drop, literal yeah, mic drop. It's like probably I, I, and I hate saying this as, you know, probably this podcast is probably going to be listened to by a few pageant people, but interning at the White House is better than Miss America. Um, <laughs> And it always will be because not everybody understands like what a big deal Miss America is or not everybody thinks Miss America is cool, but everybody thinks the White House is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and, um, you know, Miss America, the actual event of Miss America only lasts, you know, like a week. But, you know, the White House was months, you know, Mm -hmm. so being a part of that entire experience you I mean you lived it you really lived it and whether you it's better than Miss America or whether it's not I don't think matters because it's your own personal opinion yes yeah yeah. I I mean like that's so dope so you applied so how can people apply to um intern at the White House yeah absolutely so every administration if you go into like whitehouse.gov they should have a tab that says internships that you can apply for Um, Right now, I don't know how the current administration is doing it because usually the first like six months of a new administration, it's kind of like the dark days and they don't have interns yet Mm because they're still like filling in all the staff members. Um, But typically, um, first of all, you don't have to have the same like party affiliation or belief as the president. So there was a lot of kids in my class that, um, you know, weren't, you know, conservative or weren't right leaning. They still, you know, wanted a White House internship. And sometimes when you're in college, you know, the sitting president for the all four years of your college career is not the same party affiliation Mm -hmm. as you. So they don't discriminate on that. Um, Or at least they're not supposed to. And um, yeah, you go onto the website, you fill out this really long application with a bunch of different essays. Um, You go through an interview process and, um, you know, good luck. Hope hope you get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty standard, though. Um, And I would say that as long as you have a really solid um, resume, um, experience and kind of like a tailored focus. And you, you know, you, you select the departments that you think you would do well in because of the things that you're interested in. I think you have, you know, a really good chance if you're able to convey your story in a way that, you know, someone sitting in Washington, DC at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, um, kind of can, can get that from your paperwork that you've submitted. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. Did you have to do any background checks? I mean, I figured they probably already did one on you, multiple, but. (laughs) Yeah, so I think once you get selected, then they do your, like, um, background check, but it's not, like, a security clearance background check. 
so it, it isn't um, as heavy as some of the background checks. But yeah, you definitely have to fill out, they call it an equip, which is like a 35 page like thing that you fill out on the internet about like everyone in your family and you know, where they live and someone who knew you at an address and all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. It's pretty intense. But then like one day, if you ever apply for a government job that you do need a security clearance, then that's already all filled out for you. And you just have to update anything that's changed. So therefore so, everything's fine. You're all good. <laughs> the yeah. worst part's over with. <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, like, that's so, so cool. So going off of that, you know, like what was your experience moving from a small town um, in South Dakota to moving to, you know, big, big city, Washington, D.C.? How was that a, yeah. an adjustment for you? So I was living out at my parents' ranch in the, like, the <laughs> cabin that my parents have their hunters stay in during the pandemic because Casual, I moved, you know, you know back ranch. home, right? <laughs> right. So I had been living on a dirt road for, you know, at that point, like six months. And I was ready to not live, you know, even though I was only living like a few hundred yards away from where my parents lived, I wasn't living in the same house as them. I was still ready to get away from my parents at this point. Um, and so I moved in July of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic into Washington, D.C. in a U-Haul. Mm. And it was an experience. The apartment that I'm currently living in is a, you know, Craigslist diamond find. Um, so it was just it was, like the whole application process was not any different than trying to find an apartment. But, um, you know, trying to get groceries without a car and learning, you know, the metro system and you know, not being used to all of the COVID protocols was a little bit of a learning curve at first. Mm -hmm. But now at this point, like, I go home and I, I guess, going from DC to going back to South Dakota isn't as weird. Um, but for people coming to South Dakota to DC, it might be a little bit of a learning curve. But I feel like it's really not that different. Like the COVID thing protocols aren't even that bad anymore. Right. Um, and the metro, like I've got it pretty figured out at this point. Um, so I feel like I've, I've adjusted and it has, you know, I've was normalized and I was really glad I moved, um, at the end of July. So I had almost all of, I had all of August and a little bit of September to kind of adjust to DC before I started interning, um, full time in September. So it was a good like period of figure out how to live here and then start classes and then start interning. So I kind of, right, right. um, rolled Which, myself into it. I think, I think honestly, the figuring out how to live there is probably the hardest part to be honest. Cause I mean, if you can't make it to work on time, you never know. Um, so yeah. with that, you know, like tell me about like your experience now, well, you know, interning there, what was it, what was it like with the people, your day to day, what did you do? Well, everyone that, you know, works there is obviously, you know, has some kind of like incredible background or like knows somebody or something. So everybody has like a really cool story and like why they are there. Right. Um, so that was really cool just to be around a bunch of really ambitious go-getter type humans. Um, but that level of excellence day after day I was about after to say, day. That must have been very, very competitive and a very high stress environment for a person yes it was and our office particularly was known for the amount of work that we did so we were there sometimes until 9 p.m working and you know you were back there in the morning at 9 a.m um so you didn't really have a life which was fine because i'm a big you know workaholic but it was intense and it was not a sustainable lifestyle um, i was glad that i was interning there and not currently working there because i was taking 15 credits of 
classes and also working 40 hours a week um, and applying to law school and trying to still somehow be Miss South Dakota. So it was insane, um, bottom line, with all of the you know crazy things going on that weren't typical of a White House internship. So like I said, most crazy time of my life, best time of my life. Um, don't know how I functioned as a human being. Um, I lost a lot of weight because I was not eating. eating. <laughs> yes. And, and running around a lot and wearing, you know, I was basically like Miss South Dakota interview pageant ready every day of your life. Cause you never knew if you were going to be in the room, like with the president at any given time. Um, so I was always like, it's the white house weight loss program. Like don't <laughs> eat and be stressed all the time. Perfect, um, perfect balance lifestyle. Completely yes. normal guys. Completely normal. Not healthy at all. But yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. And for the short time that it was, it was, um, you know, life changing and something that, you know, I will talk to my grandchildren about one day and we'll forever talk about I don't think I would ever stop talking about it, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to come off as like pretentious and be like, well, the White House this and the White House that. But like once somebody starts asking about it, you can't help but just like spill your gut. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You're like, so anyways, so listen, I did this once, you know, in college as like a 20, 21 year old. No big deal. Completely normal. Whatever. I'm just like, I'm kind of a big deal, you know, no big deal, but I'm a big deal. (laughs) But they honestly, I think if somebody really met you in person, they would never think of you as that. Like you, you seem like a very chilled, very strong and driven person, but, um, but I don't think you'd ever lead in the conversation as that specifically, which is really cool. Well, I hope not. Cause I'm literally a, you know, farmer's daughter, I guess not farmer's <laughs> daughter, but that's what most people you know, think of me as is from, you know, Hick from South Dakota. So. Right. Right. What was your favorite, your favorite memory from working from interning there? Oh gosh. I know it's well, a hard one. Or you can say, you can say multiple if you can't just choose one. The first time we got to watch Marine One take off on the South Lawn was really cool. Yeah. Um, And it was kind of funny because I was taking a class in the fall called Washington Scandals. That was about, like, you know, scandals within presidents and stuff. That's so fun. And we were learning about Monica Lewinsky and, like, that whole situation. And they say that she (laughs) fell in love with Bill Clinton at a Marine One landing because he came out and he, like, shook everybody's hand. And, of course, like, it was coronavirus, so, like, the president didn't get super close to us. But... It made me laugh because when I was learning about Monica Lewinsky falling in love with the president, I was like, you're an intern. Like, I can't imagine now being a White House intern, like how this girl could have done that. But in the moment when you are standing on the South Lawn and the helicopter is wearing (laughs) and the president comes out and you're just you have nothing to do but stand in awe. (laughs) Yeah, it literally does feel like a movie. And after that, I had seen the president multiple times after that. And there was nothing like the first time you experience that um it it feels like after that you're like oh that's just a you know wax figure of the president walking down the hallway that's not the real person like I'm not gonna get all like butterflies about that because it just doesn't feel the same so yeah I would say that was probably one of like the coolest unreal moments um other than that our our uh, department got to work on Operation Warp Speed a lot so there was a lot of really cool moments um involving that and the event that they put on about you know, the vaccines coming out, um, I got to work on, and there's a couple pictures still on the White House flicker of me, like, standing in the back of the room in a red dress, and the president, and, and the vice president are speaking at the podium, so that was cool, 
Um, and one time Mike Pence came and talked to us interns and we had to be in separate rooms because of social distancing. And so we weren't going to get to see him in person. We were going to have to watch it on a TV screen. And he figured out that we were going to have to watch him on TV. So he came into our room personally and talked to us. There's a couple pictures of him standing like five feet away from me talking to us about um, just his life and pursuing public service. And that was a really cool moment, too, to be like the vice president of the United States is standing in front of me um, and, you know, telling us that, you know, we're cool people. And that was just like unreal as well <laughs> i mean pence is a small town small town guy from indiana as well so you know there's a lot to learn and a lot to be thankful for too with that i mean that's so cool you know hearing about you know your time entering there just you you talk about it and i'm just visualizing it in my head and all i can think about and i'm smiling about just like talking about this because i'm like this is a dream like mm-hmm. seeing seeing the president come out of a helicopter and you're just like hi like yeah what do i say to you you're like the dopest person ever yeah like it's it's crazy it's like they call dc ugly hollywood because it really is like you know celebrities but they're not they don't look like hollywood (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny i mean it makes sense so What's the best advice that you can give somebody who's wanting the opportunity to work in the White House? Like, whether it's, you know, building up your resume, what's something that you would suggest them doing? Um, You know, reaching out to different people in the community. Um, Just kind of what advice would you give to somebody um, to, like, if they want to do this? Pursue politics, especially. So, like, interning is kind of a different story because interning, like, you obviously should have a really great resume of service or involvement, prior internships, and really be able to, like, sell yourself as a package, you know, as to why you should work in a specific department. Working there, um, if you want to, like, get an actual job in White House, um, I would say, you know, interning is a really great step towards a job. They hire a lot of interns after they do, you know, intern there for a certain, you know, amount of time. Um, or a lot of people got there by working on campaigns. Um, a lot of people obviously, you know, get hired to work in the White House after they've ran for a certain position and maybe lost the election, but, you know, were picked by the administration to work there. And then they pick people from their campaign staff to come work for them. Um, so that's a really great way to, to break into politics. Um, if you can't get hired working in like an office as a staff member. Um, Campaigns are a really great way because you can volunteer for them if you already have a job or if you're already really busy in school. Um, And that's something that I never was really into was campaign work because I'm more interested in like the public service aspect. So I've always worked in offices. Um, But if you want to work in an office, you know, applying through people that are from your state or someone that you might have a connection to or someone that was in your sorority or, you know, all of these like little things that are like networking bonuses. If the person that you're applying to work for has something in common with you, you're just more likely to, you know, get selected for that position because of the little thing that you can relate with them on. That's so cool. And I think, I hope you all who are listening out there hear that and see that and maybe apply it to your own lives, especially if you're wanting to go into politics. So moving on from that, I mean, that was obviously an incredible experience, but you know, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What is, what is Amber doing now? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm right now I'm interning in Senator Lummis's office. She's the first female senator from Wyoming, um, which is funny because Wyoming gave women the right to vote the first, you know, it is now 2021 and they just got a female senator. But anyway, um, I'm interning there right now (laughs) and then I'm not quite sure what my summer is going to look like, but in August I start um, at Georgetown Law, going to get my law degree. And um, Legally blonde, but better. (laughs) really excited about it um because that was like my dream law school and so it it does really just feel like a dream come true that like all of my hard work has paid off um so it still sounds unreal when the words come out of my mouth that I'm going to school there but yep that's what I'm doing for the next three years and then after Georgetown um it'll just kind of depend on like what the political world looks like in DC whether or not I stay in DC for a couple years and work for the federal government or if I go back to South Dakota and work at the state capitol or run for office myself or we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for this journey. Oh, my goodness gracious. So I know you kind of mentioned a few things, but, you know, what what is your dream job? You don't have to answer it and it can be kind of broad. But like, what is what is your dream job? Yeah. So like on my deathbed one day, like if I, you know, had to say like, Mm -hmm. I hope that I do this before I die, like it would be incredible to be a member of Congress. Like that's like my, you know, be all end all. Like that's what, that's peaking, right? (laughs) That, 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 that is peaking. That is so cool. But you know, it would be really, really cool to work, you know, in a, in a realistic job, dream job would be, you know, just working um, as like a higher level, like staff member in a department somewhere in DC, or um, even working as a staff member for a president one day at the White House would be also, you know, super incredible, or even being, um, you know, I've been thinking about state and local politics a lot lately, like being like the governor of, you know, South Dakota one day, um, or the Secretary of State, like Chantel, um, any of those like public service positions would be absolutely incredible. That's amazing. <clears throat> and then, If you could give one piece of advice to a young woman wanting to really create her future, what would it be? Well, one thing that I always live by is to just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. You know, things are going to turn out how they're supposed to turn out, whether or not you think they were supposed to turn out that way. Mm -hmm. And in a few (laughs) months or years, you'll realize that things happened the way they did for a reason. And so if you're not quite sure what path to take if it's possible just throw it off the wall and see what sticks like apply for five things and you know one of them is probably going to work out um and just kind of let fate do your bidding for you a little bit um be okay with all five options or you know pick three different pathways and say okay these are three things that i would totally be okay with happening to me and i'm going to pursue them to the best of my ability and just kind of see which one feels right Um, don't spread yourself too thin. Um, but really if you want something, go out there and ask for it and don't be afraid to, to put yourself out there. Um, because the worst that people can say is no, or you're not ready yet, or let me help you so that you are one day. Um, but if you don't apply or push the button to submit the application or ask the question, you'll never know the answer, right? Like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I could not one billion percent ever agree more at all. Like that's absolutely incredible. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to this podcast today. You are absolutely incredible. And where can my listeners and followers find you? 
Where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so my Instagram is Amber. Um, my last name is Hulse, H-U-L-S-E. So Amber.Hulse is my Instagram handle. <laughs> um, so go follow me. Um, and that's probably the best way to get in contact with me. Um, I just started a really cool project called Pageants and Politics. So if you're looking to learn more about what's going on in the news and get like a little synopsis, um, hit me up and I can get you hooked up with that. But um, yeah, it was really great to be on the podcast via and I hope that, you know, my story can inspire a few people. And if there's anybody out there that, you know, wants some advice or wants me to look at their resume, um, I'm happy to help. <laughs> Yes, and thank you all so much for listening to G&G Homies. And I'll be back in a few weeks. So thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hey, homies. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Graduating in Growth. You can follow me at Graduating in Growth and at Olivia Kettner on Instagram. And please hit that subscribe button and share with all of your friends who are dreaming of creating their future so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much again and peace out, homies. Woo!